What is going on? Happy Monday. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening, making me a part of your day, or letting me be a part of your day, as it were. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So here's a piece of wisdom uh, that I learned today. I'm just going to pass it along to you, just in case you were not aware. Hitting the snooze button 10 straight times doesn't actually give you better sleep over the course of an hour. You're better off just sleeping for the extra hour rather than waking up the five different times to hit snooze for 10 minutes. You would think I would have learned this lesson earlier, but no, I did not. Actually, I'm not a big snoozer. I don't do the snooze button a lot. Like I wake up and I'm up and maybe I'll hit the snooze once, but today I hit it literally five times trying to recover the sleep I was unable to get because I flew up to, uh, I was actually very close to uh, President Obama's birthday bash. Not very close, actually, but closer than I usually am. I was on Long Island. I went to uh, went up to Long Island for uh, Dad's 75th birthday, got to see everybody, because last year we didn't get to go up for Mom's 75th birthday or for their 50th wedding anniversary because of Andrew Cuomo and covid So we were not allowed to travel up there. So we went up this weekend and we just, Christy and I just flew up Friday night. We got in like late Friday night. We saw everybody on Saturday and then we flew out at 6 a.m. Oh my God. 6 a.m. So we went to bed at like, I think by the time we went to bed, it was Saturday night or Sunday morning. It was like 1 a.m. And then we had to wake up and get to the airport. We got like three hours of sleep. And, all right, so there are a lot of similarities I have noticed between the COVID response and our response after 9-11. I have. For example, with COVID, I think we're going to invade some country. I think that's what's happening. No, I'm kidding. But the theater, the theater that we erect in order to make ourselves feel good, like we're protected. A lot of that same stuff, and it's still in it's still being used today. I don't look, I don't fly a lot. It's one of the powers that I try to keep hidden because people might otherwise start, you know, identifying me with the Superman. So I I'm like, I don't do it a lot. I don't fly commercial a lot. Well, I don't fly private either, but I don't fly a lot. Really. And I don't really travel a lot either. But the times I fly, I'm like, are we still doing this? Because I fly maybe once a year. And I think, why are we still doing this? I'm still taking off my flip-flops. My flip-flops at a TSA screening checkpoint. Where do you think where do you think the material is on the flip-flop? Is it between the flop and the foot? Is it like in between my toes? Like what are you not seeing when I walk into that machine that takes the image of my entire body that I know is getting posted on some internal TSA boards? I'm sure that they're doing that. I'm not sure that they're doing that, actually. But it could they could be doing that, right? So what is it that you're not seeing in the flip-flop that I have to put it in the bin? Oh, and and then the other one was the, this was a new one, that the CPAP machine, I use a a CPAP machine when I sleep, so I have to travel with that. And so I got to put that in its own container. It has to be separate. It can't be with any other uh, uh, packed materials. I don't understand that either. I'm just a little old radio guy. What do I know, right? But we get so and and here's the other thing, too. So I'm flying out of Charlotte. 
I got to go to the, right, got to go to the, the long-term little, the bus terminal thing or whatever, the bus stop, right? So I wait out there, and the shuttle shows up, and now I throw my bag on there. Now I'm in the bus, and now I'm technically, like, you know, in the facility or something, so now I got to wear the mask. I have not worn the mask as long as I just did over this weekend for the past year and a half. I have not, okay, so, like, I will go out to a grocery store, I'll throw it on, I'll do my shopping, and then I'll get back in the car. That's the extent of the mask wearing. I have not worn a mask for any real extended period of time for the entire year and a half of the pandemic, okay? So I acknowledge, like, I am a bit ignorant in trying to relate to people who have to work wearing the mask all day, and God love you, I don't know how you do it. Because I was, now I understand why people are like, I'm not going back. I am not going to go back to that because you get on that bus and now you can't take that thing off until you land until you get to the city. And we had a, we had to stop in Philadelphia, which that automatically just makes me angry on principle because it's Philadelphia. And I do, I've done my best to stay out of Philadelphia for the entirety of my life. And I had to stop in Philadelphia. So now I'm extra angry. And then it's like, Got to um, make the connection. And, oh, no, you can't make the connection. Just walk across and get on a plane. No, no. I have to get on another shuttle. And I got to I gotta ride like a mile and a half to the next terminal to get on a small plane. I thought I was going to die. We landed. And then we get out of that building. And then I can take the mask off seven hours later. Although it's for my safety. It's all for my safety, which is why when I was on the big plane, they were like, before I got to Philadelphia, they're like, oh, would you like something to drink and a snack? But you don't get a choice of snack any longer. It was some sort of, I don't know, toasted corn snack. Have, have you ever heard of these things? I don't even know the name of them. I wasn't even aware this thing existed. It was like cereal without the sugar. Little pieces of corn that were like toasted. Not popped, but toasted. And you're allowed to take your mask off when you eat. So the entire plane, this tube of people packed in like sardines, was all given food and drink at the exact same time, at which point we all took our masks off and began eating and drinking at the same time. And then we land, and they're like, please maintain social distancing. Maintain social distancing. How... how how would you describe what we just sat on a plane for an hour and a half? And that was a short flight. Both of them were very short flights. But an hour and a half, we're on a plane. That's not social distancing. I was, I was surrounded by people the whole time. And then when you get off the plane the second time, the tiny little plane, you're not even allowed to put your luggage in the overhead bins. They, it all has to get stored. So you got to, like, wait in the little, uh, the little hallway, you know, that they roll out there and they connect to the plane. What do they call those things? I don't know. The jetway or whatever. And you... He's got to stand in there, and then they bring all the luggage out. So everybody's now crammed in this tiny little portable hallway waiting on their luggage. Like, please, social distance, six feet, everybody. <laughs> really? Six feet? Did you just see the plane you packed me into? There was like 70 people in that one plane, and the ceiling was like at my head. I feel ba- I felt bad for tall people on that plane, and I rarely feel bad for tall people. Desert, man. I breathe the mountain 
I could do like a verse in that of this song. I've been everywhere. Then after that, it's just some random. I've been to Boston, Charleston, Charleston Louisiana, Louisiana, Washington, Houston, Kingston, Texas, Canada, Monterey, Faraday, Santa Fe, Tallapoosa, Glen Rock, Black Rock, Little Rock, Oskaloosa, Tennessee. How many of these places have you actually been? Lake, Grand Lake, Devil's Lake, Crater Lake, Beach Lake. I've been everywhere. It's not really. It's not the quantity that matters here. I breathe the mountain air, man. I've traveled and had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. All right, that's Johnny Cash. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I just, I, I, I'm just telling this story about what happened over the weekend to me because it happened to me. And... So I figure everybody wants to know that. No, I'm kidding. But I think that it's it has a lot of the same similarities with the COVID stuff that like we're still doing some of these things that were called security theater after 9-11. And we're still doing some of them. And that's why I'm really afraid about some of the COVID stuff that people are talking about doing and that we are doing, that some of this stuff doesn't ever go away. Because once you give up this ground to government, you generally don't get it back, right? So when I'm going through the screenings for the, you know, to make sure I'm not some terrorist, and um, like, like, like you know me, come on, guys, you know me. I give you my ID. I got the same address. You're telling me you scrape all of this data out of all of my social media profiles and stuff, and you're you still don't know who I am. Like, I walked in there. I was like, do you know who I am? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> uh, they'd be like, no. And then even after I told them, they'd be like, yeah, still don't know who you are. So they say you got to wear this mask the entire time you're in the facility. It's federal law, after all. So you got to wear it on the little shuttle buses. And then you got to wear it in the uh, airport. And then you got to wear it on the plane. And then they give you all the food. And then... Everybody takes their masks off at the same time to eat and drink all at the same time, which I'm not a scientist, but I'm thinking everyone taking the mask off at the same time probably is counterproductive to whatever or a safety theater you're trying to employ here, right? Whatever the measure is, if the mask being on our faces does the trick, Everybody taking the mask off at the same time would probably undermine the goal, right? That's just my, you know, my pea brain layperson thinking, though. Now, I have not been to a hospital in even longer than, it, than I hadn't been to an airport. So I don't know what the rules are like in hospitals. I generally try to avoid them. Just sort of my, it's my philosophy is like I, I don't want to go to hospitals, particularly for myself. I try to avoid this. So, uh, Ryan, you went to a hospital recently. Yes, I did. And you had a similar experience while while trying to uh, provide nourishment to your body with some handheld individual snacks while the pandemic was raging and you had to wear a mask in the hospital. So tell us what happened to you, Ryan. Tell us where tell us where the mask mandate Hurt you. So my weekend job is a restaurant job. I'm a server uh, in Uptown. And literally at 1130 at night, I was literally about to walk out the door 
Um, there were two glasses that were like on our little. All right, hang our... on a second. I, di- I didn't really care about all of okay. this information. Okay. I just wanted to know what happened. Okay. At the hospital. All right. You, so you got injured. I cut my hand. I cut my hand on, on a, gla- I'm on a piece out. of glass. I'm going to pass out. All right. No, I'm kidding. Just I, the I, thought I, of blood makes me. No, I, I'm kidding. I, I was about to pass out. And actually, <laughs> this is what I was trying to do to prevent myself from passing out. So uh, I, I had, I was waiting in the, uh, the outside waiting room to obviously go see the, the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had been working all day. I'd been on my feet for about 14 hours and I really hadn't had anything. And I just lost to about, eat. You, you, I hadn't had anything to eat. You've been, been working I'd, 14 hour days, I'd been running around, running around, sweating, probably. Correct. Right. And, Not uh, into people's food or anything. No, no, that would that's unsanitary. Correct. Right? You would never do that. You're Correct. a good server. I I, I like my customers. Right. Uh, so I went. And to the, so you all right? So you cut yourself on the glass. What happened with the glass? Now you, I'm kind of interested. You've made me interested. How did you? You were so you're you're uh, you're, you're so what? Just weary from the lack of yes. nourishment. You yes. have no food in your body. You're barely able to stand on your own two feet. Yes. You're like. You're just like stumbling home, and what you like fell onto some glasses. No, I, I was trying to put a glass up up on the the rack to get yeah. it, to get it cleaned. Yeah, it fell out of the rack. I tried to catch it, which you're not supposed to do. Ah, and for this very reason. Yes, probably. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, it was, my, it was supposed to be my second to last day at the restaurant too, which was which was kind of funny. Oh, that's kind of like the. The Clerks movie. Correct. You weren't even supposed to be here. I'm, right, not, I'm not even supposed to be right. here today. <laughs> um, so I'm literally in the waiting room, and I'm like, I need to, like, I'm literally, like, I look like Casper the Friendly Ghost at this point. Like, I'm, well, I'm, to I'm be a, fair. Oh, yeah, I already do. I, I, even, already even without losing do. blood. <laughs> so I went to the vending machine. I got a, I got a pack of M&Ms, a, uh, a Mountain Dew, and some water. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replenish the, the fluids that I lost, the, the quarter of a pint of blood that I've already lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with uh, with this well well balanced diet, usually that I usually right. am Mountain drinking. Mountain Dew is is just like lifeblood. <laughs> Correct. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's like it's actually in the radio diet, like the little radio <laughs> pyramid or whatever. Right. Uh, so I'm literally sitting in um in the in the waiting room in my own little corner because I'm respectful of, of of you know of distancing and all that kind of stuff. So I'm literally in my own corner of of the uh, of the waiting room. I have my mask on. And I pulled my mask down for literally two seconds just to take a sip of Mountain Dew. And I had to open up the, the, uh, the M&M's bag. And, and what I was going to do was, if I wasn't eating, I was going to slip it in my mouth and put it right back up. Mm-hmm. As I'm pulling my mask down, like it, this is literally like a Hollywood movie thing or like an <laughs> SNL bit. This, like, this, this lady, like literally probably about 100 feet away on the other side of the waiting room, like literally like sees me pulling my mask down and sprints over to the other side of the room. And she's like, you have to put your mask up. And I'm like pointing to my food and into my, my, my bandaged hand, wrist. I'm like, I'm, I'm just trying to eat here. I'm just trying to put this in my mouth. So like I've, so lost, I don't die. I've, I've lost fluid. Like right. I don't want to, do you want me to pass out on the floor? And she's All like, right, and, and she says, you have what to- we will find out. What <laughs> she says after the break. To Ryan. See, there you go. See, Ryan's a producer. See, I'm the host, so I'm I'm more skilled at these segues like this and the tease, building the expectation. Like right now, we expect to hear from Mark Muller in the WBT News Center. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This, what is this? This sounds like hold music. I, I mean, for hipsters. Hipster hold music. All right, so I was going over with Ryan this 
obviously scarring experience that he had at a hospital. Literally. Literally. Where so he he goes to the hospital because he broke company policy. Surprised they didn't fire you for it. He, by putting a glass away, and then he dropped it. And then rather than just letting it drop, hit the floor, cause a big scene, have somebody scream out, "Now it's a party!" He tries to grab it, trying to keep it from falling. He is unsuccessful, obviously, as it breaks. Did it, what did you like? Squeeze it too hard when you caught it, or it literally uh, it, it hit the desk at the same time? Yeah, yeah that, where I had my hand, where you had your hand. Yes. So total fail. Um, he and now you're gouged with this glass. And so you do you drive yourself to the hospital? No, because it was a workman's comp thing. Someone from the restaurant had to drive me. To had the to drive you to the hospital. So now you go to the hospital. They stitch you up. You got a bell bandaged up or whatever. You're hanging out, what, waiting on your ride home? No, I hadn't I hadn't gotten the stitches yet. I was waiting to go into the doctors. Ah. Someone from the restaurant had put a had put a gauze around there and I had to go see the nurse practitioner to figure out if I had like cut an artery or anything like that. Well, chances are you did not cut an artery. I did not. I did not. You probably would have bled out by that point. Probably. <laughs> would have been a bigger scene in the waiting room. Correct. All right. So you're in the waiting room, you're in the corner, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so weak. I haven't eaten in 14 hours because I've been, you know, working all day. Then I got injured. I'm not even supposed to be here today. So you get the M&Ms and you get the Mountain Dew. And yes, the first thing I did ask folks, I did ask him, is he diabetic? This is like a blood sugar thing. He's not, but he said he needed it for basically the same reason. Blood sugar, get some energy in your body, whatever. So you get the M&M's and you pull your mask down, you take a slurp out of the Mountain Dew and you go to eat some of the M&M chocolate candies and an employee of the hospital races over to you and tells you like dropped everything she was doing. Right. Like, like she you, was she was doing something else. Right. Bolts over and does she, so I'm kind of curious like paint the picture here. Is she is she yelling at you from across the room as she approaches, or does she wait till she gets up within six feet of you to tell you that you're not supposed to pull your mask down? What's the what's the thing? It's like the um, the fifty thirty thing, where like she was literally walk, she was sprinted toward me, and then like like thirty feet away from me, she starts like she didn't starts even pulling up. She didn't even ask me. Like she didn't even ask like, politely. She wasn't like, hey, you know, we need you to put your mask up. She started just berating me. She's like, you need to put your mask up. <laughs> And, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to eat here. Like, I'm just trying to keep myself, you know, from passing out on the floor and her. And then she was basically like, Our, you know, you need to put your mask up. And she start, and I'm like, I'm just trying to eat. I'm just trying to put something in my system. And she, sh- she literally starts showing me. She's like, you have to put the, put the <laughs> M&M in your mouth around the corner of the mask. Like I have to fit the, the M&M <laughs> around the, the little slit on the side of the mask. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> You've got to slide an individual from the from the side, like from my cheek. You got to rub an M M&M. and <laughs> M. You got to just like smear it right along your cheek to get it. Well, what about me? I, wait, do you have facial hair? I can't see because these plexiglass barriers. Uh, no. So all right. So I have a, but I've got a goatee. I have a pretty, yeah, formidable, impressive goatee, and. I would not rub an M&M through my goatee hair to to then push it into my mouth, first of all. Second of all, aren't you contaminating the mask right. from that side right. every time you're pushing your 
dirty, grubby, bloodied fingers underneath the mask. Right. And have you seen like pictures of like people's the insides of their masks? Like that's yeah. like that's nasty. I would definitely not do that. Nasty. That's insane. How did she expect all right, so all right, did you do then did you do the same thing with the with the Mountain Dew, I assume, right? You just turn your head to the side, peel back the corner of the mask, I and just, just like, like pour it down your cheek and let it just run in like one of those ice sculpture shot deals that they do at it's the It's a bars shame I didn't have like the little occasions. beer hat. The yeah. Little- <laughs> they should hand those out in the emergency rooms. Here is your beer hat. You can put any beverage you want into it, obviously. So we'll call it a beverage hat. You know, and it's got the little cup holders on the side, and it's got the tube, so you can kind of snake it. Oh, what do they call them? Platypuses, right? That's what they call the uh, – it's a camping thing, not the animal. But it's it's the water bags, right? Don't they – isn't that what it's called? The platypus or the bladderpus or something like that? Anyway, and you put it into your backpack, you fill it with water, and it's got a little hose, and it has a little – mouthpiece on the end and you put it in your mouth so you can kind of just like turn your head and just suck down some water as you're hiking or walking or whatever. They need to hand those out. Or how about this? It's a hospital. IV bags. How about that? You get an IV bag with a hose, except instead of jamming it into your vein, it you could put it behind your mask and just drink your fluids. And they could they could hook you up with like some vitamin replacement stuff. That's that is this is what I mean. This is a perfect example of it. And this is why I asked him to tell the story. I literally I, I did not know this story. Okay, so we work without a net here, as you can tell. Sometimes <laughs> I do a lot of show prep and then you get stuff like this where we kind of go off on a tangent and we learn things. Uh, but we also come up with solutions like the IV drink bags. This is a solution for hospitals. So this way people are not pulling down their masks to eat M&Ms. Right. You have to have the IV bag, and then you put a hose onto it. And if you make the hose wide enough, you can actually fill the IV bag with M&Ms. Oh, my gosh. Like, the, now I'm thinking this through. Like, the possibilities are endless here, right? You could have, like, an M&M-type dispenser, and you could fill it with anything. But the M&Ms, like, you could just have this little tube filled with the M&Ms, and you would just kind of, I don't know. Can you, I mean, can you suck the M&M through the, yeah. Probably so. You'd have to have a really tall IV bag. It would have to be like 10 feet tall to get the gravity working, to get the M&Ms flowing. Or, now just hear me out. I'm just spitballing here, okay? Like right off the top of my head. And I've always said there are no bad ideas under this cone of creativity. But maybe we blend down the M&Ms into like a shake. And then you could just drink the shake. Like a puree. Like a puree, an M&M puree. Just an idea. Here's an idea. Let's get a check on traffic with Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Here's a tweet at Pete Callender from Toasty. If an M&M fits through the gap in the mask, how does the mask stop a virus? Toasty, I think the answer to that is um, shut up or you want everyone to die. I think that's the answer to your question. And Monica says, well, Pete, all oh, that sounds stupid because then you're touching the mask. Well, see, no, Monica, it's not stupid because shut up or you want everyone to die. To die. Like, that's... It's not stupid. (laughs) 
I don't understand. I don't understand it either. Ryan. So uh, hang on a second. Let me hear. This is Dean. He says he has a solution to your problems, uh, which that seems pretty life changing. So I figure let's give Dean this opportunity. I have my I have my pen and paper right now. Right. The solution to your problems is Dean. What? Okay, Pete. This is this is pretty old school, but I mean, uh, what you do is don't you remember in high school you used to sneak into the men's room the boys room and take a smoke or something like that you know you've seen it in the movies he just should have took his m&ms and his thing went into the men's room go into a stall and then you know drop the mask and pop a bunch of m&ms i mean you know because when i think of eating m&ms i go sit on the toilet to do it well you know i mean uh, we couldn't we couldn't uh, smoke in the classrooms you had to take advantage of what the situation was all right well Either either that or go go you know they have those automatic doors go out the doors, go about a quarter mile away from the hospital and then you know <laughs> while just, you're bleeding, <laughs> yeah just stick the mask they can follow you the little blood spots you know <laughs> right so yeah they will know where your body is they just follow the the blood trail all the way down well, the sidewalk. Well, you want to make a joke about his right. you know. Is dying. That's fine with me too. Hey, look, I Dean. I wasn't the one who promised all the solutions to Ryan's problems, and then just told him go eat M and M's on the toilet. <laughs> well, seriously, does does he have more problems than that, or just is that his only problem? Well, that's what I thought you were offering. It says solutions to Ryan's problems. Now, Ryan did I, write I, that, so maybe he put all of this on you, and it's unfair for me to now hold yeah. you to you know to the standard that you're supposed to have all the solutions I think for we, his I think problems. we ha- I think we have a new benchmark segment every week <laughs> well, why solving Ryan, Ryan's want? problems with Dean That's right <laughs> Dean solves Ryan's problems <laughs> today Whoa. on a very special episode of the Pete Callender show <laughs> All right thank How you much Dean does it pay? Uh, All right we got to okay, go never mind. All right yeah we got to go thank you Dean uh that's, no, he's talking money now. You definitely hang up when they start asking for compensation. That's <laughs> this, uh, sir. This is radio. Um, so no, that that is a, Dean did offer a potential solution. You could have just gone into the bathroom, and although maybe this woman would have followed you in, probably, probably. It, who knows? I mean, it is life or death. It was a life or death situation, right? If Ryan were to have pulled the mask down and eaten the M M&M and M and then put the mask back up. Like, people would have died from that. Hospital shutdown. Right. So she was, I mean, the t- the term hero is too often, you know, used, I think. But in this situation, what she did, really. Well, look. I'm waiting for the statue ceremony. Right. This is So this is the thing, and we're having fun with it, and I get it. But I understand why she, you know, raced over to you and, you know, didn't want other people to now start imitating you. Because you are a bit of a trailblazer. People could just tell, you know. You have that thing that... As I'm sitting in the corner by myself. Bleeding out, eating M&Ms, drinking a Mountain Dew. People are like, I got to be like that guy. And so then they would go get M&Ms. They would get Mountain Dews. And then they would take down their masks. Right? And they would be doing the thing that everybody was doing on the plane that I am criticizing. Right? So, yes, I am trying to have it both ways, obviously. But it, it would be the next Eminem Mars campaign where there's literally TV commercials where you're sharing M&Ms in, 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 hospi- in hospital well, waiting rooms. Look, and here's the other thing. You get the M&Ms. You can then prolong the duration. See, if you, if you can take the mask off while you eat a bag of M&Ms, you can eat them one at a time. 
And you can make that bag of M&Ms last as long as the flight or as long as it takes for them to see you in the hospital. Okay, well, that's crazy because it'll be like, what, seven hours? So I kid, I kid, their times are very good. But the, uh, the point here is that you are able to then space this thing out for a longer period of time. And if everybody were to do that, then there might as well be no mask mandate. So I understand sort of the rationale, but, but what goes out the window here is an ability to discern the context of a situation. And it undermines people's confidence in the people in the institutions that we really need confidence in. And here's another quick example of it was on my return flight from Islip on Long Island, small airport. And it's six. And actually, no, I'm sorry. It's like four thirty in the morning. The airport. I didn't even know like it, like it's basically closed. Nothing is open except our gate. That's it. It's the only thing open. And so I'm going through the TSA. There's like two people on the TSA checkpoint here. And so I walk in and now I know I have to take my CPAP out of my little suitcase. So she says, so I go through and the woman then starts yelling at me to move the bins up the table, push the bin, go move up the line as if there's a line. There isn't even a line. There was one girl behind me and I told her you can go in front of me. It's like the scene from Meet the Parents when he's in the hot or at the airport by himself. <laughs> There's nobody else here. Who are you talking to? And so she says, move them up, move up the line, push the bins up the line. So what do I do? I take the little, it's, you know, it's one of the little suitcases with the you know, handle and the wheels and stuff. And so I put it in the bin to start pushing. The, she says, you don't have to put that in the bin. Don't put that in the bin. I said, I, I'm not putting it in the bin. I'm taking a CPAP out of this out of the thing. She's like, well, it doesn't need to be in the bin. I said, well, you told me to move all of the bins forward, so I'm moving the bins. I'm literally following your instructions, and you're yelling at me as if I'm an idiot. Now, I did not say this because she's a TSA agent, and I did not want to get taken out of the line for an invasive search. So I just bit my tongue which then sent me to the hospital where I had to deal with the wood. No, I'm kidding. I, I, buy, I, I bit my tongue. I did not say anything. But then as she's, so I start sliding the bins down. I open up the thing. I go about doing whatever. And I hear her say, as she turns, she says something to, uh, something to the effect of, what do I know? I'm just an old lady and I've been doing this for 20 years. As if I've done something to warrant that kind of a reaction. And I get it. She was embarrassed because she was an idiot and displayed it for the four people that were there, me and my wife being two of them, right? So I get it. She was embarrassed. So she was trying to minimize somehow. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm correcting her. Like, I'm, I'm literally not even correcting you. Like if you, like, if you wanted to see me correct you or you wanted to hear what me correcting you would sound like, I'm going to send you a clip of this show, and then you will then you will know what it sounds like to be corrected when I am safely 800 miles away out of the reach of the long arm of the Islip MacArthur Airport TSA. <laughs> well, I didn't say I was brave, okay? <laughs> but do you think now that that improves my opinion of... 
like the authority of the institution of the TSA? No, of course not. Of course not. That was my Philip Seymour Hoffman impression. I do impressions. Philip Seymour Hoffman from Along Came Polly, where he's pitching the life insurance policy for the crazy guy. <coughs> right? You, you thought you were watching the movie right there. That segment, yeah. That's how, that's how accurate that impression is. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. President Obama, former President Obama, had a big bash out at Martha's Vineyard, his house. It's like a $12 million-something dollar house. It was a rental, and then he was able to scrape enough money together to buy it outright. So proud. And uh, he had a big party. They were advertising. It was like 700 people guest list. And then some people started pointing out like, hey, man, um, this isn't probably a great idea to have all these people gathering for a soiree, even if it is for you, the anointed one, um, because of the COVID, the Delta variant. You know, it's killing everybody. And even though it's not, but it is, it's it's super, super contagious and You know, we really shouldn't be sending this kind of a mixed message. And so they're like, okay, okay, we're going to scale it back. Rather than the 700 people, inviting 690. All right, you're welcome. That's, I don't actually know what the final guest list was, but it looked like almost 700 people. They had a big party, and they're like, it was outside. It wasn't really outside. They had tents, right? They had tents set up, and they were all dancing around. They were all violating the social distancing stuff. They were all maskless. Oh, he also gave a, uh, gave away weed at the party. Yeah, yeah. Because, see, all right, so first off, there were some rules. You were not allowed to shoot any kind of video, take any kind of pictures. There was a no photography rule. There's a ban at the party. And I've actually been to... um. I mean, not that it was anybody famous. It was just some friends, but they were millennials. And I don't know why they invited us, but this was several years ago, uh, back when I was cool. And we got invited to this party and we go. And that was one of the things they said, like no photography. And I had never considered it before because I'm a Gen Xer, part of the greatest, you know, coolest generation and still alive because the greatest generation is the greatest generation. But after that, like that's it's Gen X, obviously. And. Uh, well, it's just it's just us by comparison, okay? It's like by comparison, we're the best left. Okay, so I had never considered this, but for millennials, like their entire existence has been with a camera, with a uh, you know cell phone cameras and every there, there, there's this this constant um, I don't know surveillance state mindset that they have because. Everybody's always had a camera around them. See, so Gen Xers, like, we still get in trouble for stuff because we forget that there's cameras around. <laughs> and boomers, oh, yeah, you guys are, you're, yeah. 
it's terrible for boomers. They, they well, first off, they don't remember a lot of stuff as it is. So just because it's just an age joke, people calm down. Anyway, so you, you got these these millennials that are like, we don't want any photography at this at this party because this kind of stuff, you know, come back in ten years or so and ruin your life. So that's the first experience I ever had with this. So I saw this as part of one of the stories and was thinking, okay, well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. You want people, you know, to be relaxed. You don't want to have to worry about somebody, you know, taking video of you after you hit the open bar, which, by the way, was stocked with some top shelf stuff. They were giving away cigars, but then they also had bags of weed, bags of marijuana, different kinds with, you know, named and stuff and little uh, papers set up so people could roll their own joints and all this stuff. This is at the president's 60th birthday party. Well, Pete, marijuana is legal in Massachusetts. Right. That's true. That's true. But marijuana is not legal at a federal level. So interestingly enough, we finally find an anti-federalist president who is cool with some aspect of federalism. It's on the marijuana laws. <laughs> on that, he's okay with. And, and mind you, he could have actually tried to do something about the marijuana laws while he was president, but he didn't. And so, yeah, I am kind of the libertarian in me, kind of ticked off that you didn't do anything about it. Because you know who hasn't, you know, done any marijuana for a very long time because it's illegal? Yeah, that would be me. I mean, college notwithstanding, but that would be me. <laughs> Right? And look, when the day comes, and it is coming, it will eventually be legalized, then I will partake again. But right now, juice isn't worth the squeeze for me. The juice is not worth the squeeze. So I'm just, you know, drinking tons and tons of alcohol. That's the trade-off. Um, they did have lots of alcohol at this. They had, uh, they had all sorts of options, obviously, for the vegans and the vegetarians, but then they also had all sorts of, you know, high-end cuts of uh, meat and chicken and all sorts of shrimps and fish and everything else. They had a lot of food at this place. They had a lot of people and they were partying and dancing. And I do not begrudge them at all, except for the marijuana side of it. I don't, I don't begrudge all these people from, from having a party from going and hanging out. I don't have any problem with them doing it. Now I do have a problem with them doing it and then telling everybody else that they can't, right? That's what I have the problem with. These are the same people. And many of them are like literally the same people that were telling us that, you know, you couldn't go. And as I mentioned earlier, last year was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And guess what? They couldn't celebrate. Guess what? We couldn't go to New York to celebrate with them for their vow renewal for their 50th wedding anniversary. We could not mark that date. People could not go to funerals for their loved ones. People could not go see their loved, one, uh, loved ones who were wasting away from loneliness and even dementia in nursing homes, right? This is what we were deprived of. And I understand, I understood the argument at the time. I understood the need for precautions. But now, when you're telling me that the Delta variant is, you know, it's more contagious than classic COVID and nobody should be doing anything, we're, to, we're talking about reinstituting mask mandates, some places are. People are even talking about lockdowns again. People are talking about more restrictions, mandatory vaccines. Against this backdrop, you move forward with that kind of party. That I do have a problem with because I still have a problem with inconsistent standards being applied for certain people versus others. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender, I would give out the number here, but we just had three different people get hung up on. It's not our fault. I just want to tell you. I apologize. Something has apparently gone wrong with line one on our phone system, and so we did not hang up on you. The computer did. I don't know what you said. I don't know what you did. But you obviously angered it, and it hung up on you. What about what about the the saying uh, a good a carpenter doesn't blame his tools? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a carpenter. <laughs> so <laughs> no, there's something. Yeah, there's something wrong with the the line there. So uh, I apologize for folks who called in, wanted to get on the show, and uh, you got hung up on. It was not intentional. So uh, Annie Carney is a uh, writer at the White, uh, sorry, at the New York Times. She is the White House correspondent for the New York Times, and she appeared on CNN on the program hosted by Jim Acosta, who is, I think, I I believe I saw this, that he was actually now going to be studied by scientists because his, um, unlike most human beings, his hair has actually gotten darker as he's gotten older. It's a very interesting phenomenon happening as one who has gone Gray, um, it's on my dad's side of the family. They get gray very early on. Like my aunt Rita was gray when she was like in her twenties. Um, I did not start going gray until like late thirties, but it has really picked up pace (laughs) within the last say three years or so. Um, but he has like, uh, to his credit, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, genetics he's got going on, his hair is going from gray to brown. So good for him. And if they can isolate whatever that uh, gene is, uh, I, I would I would probably look to say, hey, can I have some of that gene? I would like the the uh, but, uh, well, if it's connected too close, though, to like that smugness gene, I don't want it. That's not worth it for me that the juice is not worth the squeeze on that for me. I would I would like to not have the gray hair, but the the smugness, if it's part and parcel, I'm out. Um, so Annie Carney from The New York Times, she goes on uh, Jim Acosta's show. And she points out that the people that were at Barack Obama's party, you know, it's okay to see them dancing and breathing in each other's lung juice, even though the Delta variant is ripping through America. You know, it's okay because they know what they're doing here. And play the uh, co- other people said, <laughs> you know, this is really being overblown. Yeah. They're following all the safety precautions. Right. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd, and and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. Yeah, see? It's all just right. about Annie optics. Carney, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, good talking to you. We'll see, uh, other we'll see how it said, plays out. You know, this- oh, that's, that's a looped soundbite. That's interesting. Um, so that's, So to me, that doesn't really make much sense. You're comparing the Obama's birthday party under this tent with six, 600, 700 people and they're dancing and they're all mixing and mingling all together. It's not like they're in an open air, you know, stadium. It's not like they're at Chicago's Lollapalooza where no COVID spread. There was like almost 400,000 people that went to Lollapalooza about a week, a uh, week and a half ago. And they're not seeing any kind of case increase in Chicago from that. So we are to believe. 
even though like the mayor was there, the governor, the governor said um, that he was going to go, but then he backed out. The governor was first like, yeah, I'm going to go. Was his name Pritzer, J.B. Pritzer or something? And he's like, I'm going to go to the Lollapalooza, uh, you know, welcome all the people back to, yay, you know, big outdoor concert venue. And then, oh, no, Delta variant. And so he's like, I'm out. And then the mayor still went. Lori Lightfoot, she still went to the uh, COVID Palooza. And she's taken some heat for it locally in the local press. But I, I'm watching to see, like, where are the numbers going to go for Chicago? Because um, I am told that when you put a whole bunch of people together, that the Delta variant is so contagious, everyone's basically going to get it. And a lot of people are going to die. And so why would you be doing this? Well, in fact, there's this other thing going on was this motorcycle rally in South Dakota, the Sturgis motorcycle rally. And they did this last year. They took a lot of flack for it, and all the experts told us that this was why South Dakota had so many cases of COVID last year. It's not that it's a virus and it's contagious and it's an airborne virus, and so it's spread very easily, right? It's and it's not it's not for, it's not because of seasonality or anything. It's because of the Sturgis bike rally, and now they're looking to do another Sturgis bike rally, and so um, Chuck Todd. At Meet the Press, he asks Anthony Fauci about this. You've brought up uh, regionally the South, but out uh, in the Plains, in the Great Plains, we have Sturgis, South Dakota. There's going to be a, there's a gathering right now of some 700,000 people. Last year, it was a smaller turnout, and it was over about 150,000 people, and it and it led to a massive outbreak in the Dakotas, where they became number one and number two. Uh, for essentially the rest of the calendar year of cases. What do you expect this rally to do to that part of the country? Well, I'm very concerned, Chuck, that we're going to see another surge related to that rally. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's, it's understandable that people want to do the kinds of things they want to do. They want their freedom to do that. But there comes a time when you're dealing with a public health crisis that could involve you, your family, and everyone else, that something supersedes that need to do exactly what you want to do. I mean, you're going to ultimately be able to do that in the future, but let's get this pandemic under control before we start acting like nothing is going on. I mean, something bad is going on. I mean, we've got to realize that. So was that advice that the former president should be taking? This is what I mean. I've been saying this for a year. We're either practicing battlefield medicine or we are not. And that's a it's a catch-all idea that means if you got people who are telling you this is really contagious, really deadly, you need to alter everything. Everything has to change. But then they turn around and do things that undermine that that are that are at odds with the advice that they're telling me to follow. I now start doubting whether or not your advice is legitimate. And I'm not crazy for doubting it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. My name is Pete Callender. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Um, 
White House medical advisor and epidemiologist Dr. Anthony Fauci shared his concerns about South Dakota's upcoming Sturgis motorcycle rally on Sunday's Meet the Press, subtly rebuking attendees as host Chuck Todd appeared to suggest it could be another coronavirus super spreader event. Now, this is obviously uh, due to COVID being the most intelligent virus we have ever encountered. Uh, encountered, right? COVID knows when a rally is or is not acceptable. It knows when it is virtuous. It knows when a, a gathering is righteous. This is why last year when we saw the Black Lives Matter protests that, you know, inexplicably ended in violence, the mostly peaceful protests that were like, you know, 96% peaceful, a little bit of violence going on, the the largely peaceful fires that were set, the largely peaceful looting that occurred. Um, there was no talk of super spreading events. There was, there was no concern that people might be uh, transmitting this highly transmiss, uh, transmissible and contagious virus amongst each other, even though they were, you know, getting tear gassed and they were hacking and coughing all over each other. There was no concern because, see, COVID knows COVID knows that those were righteous protests. So COVID knew not to smite those people. Just like COVID knew that if you went to church and if you are singing at a, you know, at a mass or something or at a service, uh, then that's not allowed and COVID shall smite you for that. That's why we had to ban all of the church services because COVID knows. COVID knows also that uh, if you are seated, uh, seated, if you are seated at a, t- can you tell I'm running on like the multiple snooze alarms? Yeah, like I'm having trouble just saying basic words today for some reason, not for some reason, because I'm exhausted. Anyway, COVID knows when you're seated at a table, COVID knows it shall not smite you at the table because you're, you're seated. When you stand up, that's where all the COVID is. That's why when you would go to a restaurant, remember when the restaurants first were allowed to reopen, Um, because I don't know, I guess Governor Cooper convinced COVID to let us reopen. He was like, please, COVID, we'll make sure that everybody's seated, and then uh, you you won't smite them. And so COVID's like, okay, fine, but if they stand up, you know, they're mine. And so that's why we were told when you walk to the bathroom, you got to wear the mask on the way to the bathroom because we don't want you, I guess, like breathing in as you walk to the bathroom or breathing out as you walk to the bathroom. I often wondered, like, what if I just held my breath as I walked to the bathroom? Would that be acceptable? Or does, does COVID know that I'm just holding my breath? And then COVID would just, like, penetrate, like, via my eyeballs, right? Or it would just, like, go and rush up underneath my nostrils and just hang out there until I have to, like, <gasps> take a deep breath in. And it's like, yeah, and it, like, jumps down my nasal passages. COVID knew to hang out, I think it's about four, four and a half feet and up. This is why kids don't get it, I think. That's why the kids were largely immune, you know, from the, because they were short. So they're in the seated area. Maybe that's the Delta variant. The Delta variant's like, you know what? I'm going to start, I'm going to look lower. Because classic COVID's got the, you know, four feet and above covered. I'm going to go for the lower hanging kids. I'm going to go for the, for the seated people and the children. I don't know. I just know this is the most intelligent virus we have ever experienced. Just considering some of the responses um, that we have had to had to do, like for example, yeah, you know, vitamin D. 
apparently it's pretty helpful in fighting off of the uh, the COVID. Uh, and so that's why we told everybody to stay inside. We're trying to outsmart the virus, right? Because the virus's weakness is the co- is uh, vitamin D. If you have a lot of it, then it doesn't really. Um, uh, it takes a lot a lot more for it to really you know hurt you. And so what the virus obviously thinks we're going to do is encourage people to go outside. But no, haha, jokes on you, COVID. We're trying to outsmart COVID by staying inside. Boom! Didn't see that one coming, did you? I I applaud I applaud the optimism here that uh, whoever is this whoever is that is calling in I I applaud it but you're not going to last. We're going to put you on hold, and then um, you're going to get dropped. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. I'll try to get you on the air as soon as. Just don't even tell me the guy's name or gal's name. I'll just try to get him on. We'll see if it works. Because I don't even know if we can put them on the air. Although line two has to. Oh, they're gone. Did you put them on hold? Oh, okay. Didn't get on hold. All right. Although I will say line two staying on hold. Um, So this Sturge's motorcycle rally. As I understand it, the motorcycle rallying occurs outside. I've never been to Sturgis. Now, I've been down to Myrtle Beach for Black Biker Weekend twice, actually. Um, what? I have. I've Yeah. No, I had, well, I had a roommate, my old college roommate, John, and he lives in Myrtle Beach. And so it was one of the few, Is it was it Labor Day Weekend, I think is when it is. And it was like one of the few three-day weekends I could ever take years ago when I first started working in radio. And so I could actually drive down there. And, and I remember like the first one, the first time I went down there, he did not tell me this was occurring. And so I just drove in and I'm noticing like, who are all these people going down the same back you know, roads to Myrtle beach? And they're all like towing all of these motorcycles. Like, what's the deal with that? You know? Um, and then I got there and I realized, Oh my gosh, there's some, there's a massive biker rally going on. Uh, and then I went down the next uh, uh, the next week as well, or the next year for the same uh, for the same event. Not that I participated in it; I was just going down to hang out with my old roommate. So, uh, but as I understood, it, if it's anything like that biker rally, the one in Sturgis, I'm thinking mainly outside, right? I mean, I'm just generally going to go out on a limb, motorcycle rally outdoors. And so I'm thinking, if you're outside, then do the rules apply that COVID isn't really going to smite you or is this not a virtuous rally? Is it because if it's like, maybe you guys need to get some, I don't know, some banners drawn up to try to trick COVID into thinking that you are a virtuous rally, right? Maybe draw up some poster boards for things, support various causes, throw in a March or two or a ride. It could be a ride, I guess. Well, but maybe a March just in case. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. A performer at former President Barack Obama's birthday party managed to take stealth pictures of the opulent Martha's Vineyard event and share them with Instagram followers. Rapper Trap Beckham. Is that the one that's married to the Spice Girl? Anyway, and manager T.J. Chapman, Beckham and Chapman, discreetly snapped pictures of the event's high-end food, 
drink and swag offerings and talk to their followers as the party unfolded, according to screenshots of the posts, which were later deleted under the event's photography ban. Uh, this is, I believe, from the New York Post story by Jesse O'Neill. His, uh, the recording artist and his handler posted themselves smoking cannabis, which is legal in Massachusetts and, by the way, was provided by the president. Snaps of the open bar showed bottles of top-shelf liquor and cigars, as well as cocktails that were s'mores cocktails, garnished with melted marshmallows. I mean, this was like really decadent stuff, right? This is like Hunger Games District 1 type level party, right? Well, I'm trying to connect with the millennials. Do I need a Harry Potter reference? It is the only book they've ever read. Um, by 1 a.m., the scaled down shindig had officially petered out as throngs of famous guests and workers clogged the roads of small town Oak Bluffs, creating a bleep show a poop show of traffic congestion on the resort island, according to local police. Some of the guests rumored to be at the seaside affair include Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks. Wait a minute. Tom Hanks. Didn't he get COVID? Like early on, right? Wasn't he one of the early adopters? Yeah, he was like one of the first like celebrity cases. Yeah. He and his wife and everybody was like, that's when everybody knew they it were was in, serious. They were in Australia. Right. So, now look, I don't have any problem with Tom Hanks attending. He's already had COVID. And so he's got durable immunity. I don't have any problem with him attending this thing. George Clooney, Jennifer Hudson, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Bradley Cooper, Don Cheadle, Gabrielle Union, Dwayne Wade, Bruce Springsteen, Erica Badu, Stephen Colbert, John Kerry, John Legend, and uh, his wife, Chrissy Teigen, they were there. I think she was uh, seen uh, somewhere, like, bullying somebody off in the corner. That's kind of what she does, as I understand it. Um, And I don't know what's happening with the audio today. Um, Was that? (laughs) This is a bit. This is a Saturday Night Live bit. Literally. You remember the bit? Have you ever seen the bit where the guy is telling jokes and then he descends into some really depressing aspect of his life and the the guy who does the rim shot is so old and decrepit that he's like lagging behind the actual joke. And so he's not hitting the rim shot at the joke part, but he's hitting it at the most depressing part of the guy's story. Okay, anyway. Um, so all these people attend this this soiree and the woman from the New York Times who was on Jim Acosta's program, uh, what's her name here, Annie Carney, she said the party has gone through a few phases. It was on, it was a 475-person guest list. It looked really over the top given the moment we're in with Delta variant surging, with the White House trying to send a message that people need to get vaccinated and take extra uh, precautions again. Obama was hearing from aides that they should significantly scale this back. That happened on Wednesday. A lot of the people in Obama's circle still thought that was too late. In fact, many people were already traveling to the island for the party. Because in today's day and age, with modern travel being what it is, it does take like four or five days to get to this island that is like right off the coast of Massachusetts. In fact, 
Uh, many people were still traveling there. But what we're seeing today is that a lot of, uh, well, there was a kind of a two-tiered system, she says. A lot of the celebrities kept their invites, and a lot of the former administration officials who really credit themselves with helping the former president, having built this legacy that allows him to fit in so comfortably with the A-list stars, a lot of them were cut. There's some hard feelings and some disappointment. (laughs) The way this is turning out, this is so perfect. I'm sorry, but if you ever needed the, the sort of the distilled quintessential example of what politics really is all about in America, right? Just the, the, the shallowness of it. This is it, right? You've got all these people, these former aides that got cut and they view themselves as being the ones that built Obama into the rock star that he is able to move in the world with all of these celebrities. And once they help him get there, (laughs) then he doesn't need them anymore. And now they're all mad. Oh, he's like now with the cool kids, he's not with us anymore. And they're all ticked off about it. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have given him the selfie stick to take the pictures in the, uh, in the white house. Right. She goes on to say, as we have seen, Celebrities arrive on the island. The tabloids have some pictures of the tent in the background. Obama's $12 million mansion, and it looks quite large, as $12 million mansions tend to do. When they say they scaled it back to be family and close friends, I mean, that's not a 12-person gathering, right? Right. When you say, we've scaled back the event from 700 people to just be family and close friends, That's not 400 people, right? And so when you have everybody getting off of their private jets, yeah, well, by the way, what is up with that? John Kerry, like how how does this message not resonate yet or register with him? How does this not break through like the Delta variant to the John Kerry circle of advisors who are like, hey, you're in charge of Joe Biden's climate change initiatives, right? You're the guy that's supposed to be saving the planet from human beings. And you can't show up everywhere on your private jet, especially after you just got tagged in a bunch of, of news reports that that called you out for that hypocrisy, right? You should not be jetting to Martha's Vineyard, which, by the way, I think, doesn't he live there? Doesn't he have a house there? I think he actually has a house there. Why are you flying there? Why are you not on a ferry, Kerry? You should be taking the ferry over there. But nobody, like, but nobody says this to him, I guess. Nobody's, or they do, and no one cares. Maybe they just, maybe they read the New York Times article. They knew it was coming out. Because the Times article today is like, uh, bad news, everybody. Uh, we did not act fast enough on the climate change. And so now the world's just going to get super, super hot. Nothing we can do about it. Which for me, like, I'm kind of relieved. I am. I'm kind of relieved. I trust air conditioning. I believe in air conditioning. And um, I know that there are other places of the country that uh, eventually, if it got really, really, really hot, I, you know, like, you know, 110, I, I could go. You know, I could go to like some higher altitudes or whatever. I know I could escape inland. And I think people of the heartland would welcome me. I do. I think they would welcome me. Now, if you're not, 
if you're not the kind of person that the heartland would welcome, I could see why this might be troubling to you, right? But you made your bed there, not me. Um, but that being said, it's kind of like, well, at least now we know, you know, we know now that we can't do anything else. So why bother trying at this point? So give up the electric cars, folks. There's no need for them anymore. <laughs> Did I take the wrong message from that? I might have. All right. News is next. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender. That's the address to the email address. Pete.Callender at radio-one.com. Um, the Charlotte City Council is weighing options for how, well, first off, I, I should say tonight they're going to approve that non-discrimination ordinance. And I say that having no idea what the latest iteration of it is. But it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Because, of course, it's going to happen. And it will likely not include the uh, the Republican version request, which was to include um, political affiliation. Right? So you can fire somebody for basically whatever reason. Or I'm sorry, you cannot fire anybody for all of these other reasons. But you can fire them if they're Republican. That's the standard the Democrats intend to set tonight with the NDO, that everybody's a protected class except basically Republicans and probably more specifically Trump supporters. So just a heads up. Um, I mean, if you're a Trump supporter, right? I mean, if you're not voting Republican, what do you got to worry about? <laughs> uh, so that's probably going to happen tonight. But also, more importantly, they are weighing options on how to spend $60 million in federal COVID-19 relief aid. This is according to the Charlotte Observer article. Aside from $2 million that is earmarked for the arts and culture sector, no other American Rescue Plan Act funding has been committed for Charlotte residents, grassroots organizations, or city programs yet. So for now, even the broadest categories and possible allocation Figures presented to the city council last week are subject to change. What has been tossed around, apparently, is $20 million for housing and homelessness. $16 million for workforce development and employment. And $24 million for, quote, community vitality, including internet access and public safety. Local governments are allowed to use uh, the funds to help Households, small businesses, and industries economically devastated by the pandemic, including tourism, travel, and hospitality sectors. Um, that's according to Sean Heath, the special assistant to the city manager. Again, this is all according to the Charlotte Observer's article by Allison Kuznets. Um, I would recommend that um, we should really be funding the critical work of radio hosts particularly those working in the news talk format, the commercial radio folks in the news talk format. This is critical work, keeping people informed. We haven't used any taxpayer money, you know, like those uh, 
like those freeloaders over at NPR. Um, so I'm thinking, all right, look, I'm just, I'm going to put a number out there. It's 2 million per host. What do you think? I'm, I'm okay. Like we, I'm flexible on that number. I, I'll go to three, 3 million per host. That, that, yeah, I could do that. Um, or how about this? Maybe, um, for new arrivals to town, specifically from Asheville who are returning to Charlotte after having lived there for eight years and seven months exactly. Maybe some, uh, some sort of program for those folks, like a million dollars per person. I'm, again, I'm flexible with that number. I'll go to one and a half, maybe two million. Also, just an idea, if you're looking for how to spend this money, maybe a grant program, uh, one-time grants to people named Pete Callender. I would be okay with that as well. Half million, anywhere from half million to two million, depending on uh, how many Pete calendars you're able to find in the city. And uh, if I mean, if you can only find one, then obviously that one would get it all. So just uh, just, you know, some uh, some ideas there. Fifty five percent believe that lockdowns did more harm than good. Looking back over the past year or so, 55 percent of voters agree that despite good intentions, shutting down businesses and locking down society did more harm than good. 55%. A Scott Rassman national survey found that 38% disagree and 7% just aren't sure. So 55% say more harm than good. 38% say more good than harm. Those totals include 34% who strongly agree, 20% strongly disagree. All right. I know, I know doing numbers on the air on radio, it's never a good idea. But here, and as I always say, the key here is the trend line. The snapshots are okay. The snapshots provide just that, a snapshot of people's sentiment, right? public polling or surveys. It gives you just an idea of where people are at any given moment. That can change. It also um, is affected by the way you ask the question, also affected by the answers that are allowed. Right? If you give people the ability to answer how they choose, or are you restricting them to either yes or no? Like all of this stuff plays a factor. So a year ago, 41% thought the lockdowns did more harm than good. So a year ago, it was 41%, and now it's 55%. So the trend line is, is going in the direction of more and more people think that the lockdowns were bad. They did more harm than good. As on most pandemic-related topics, there is a partisan divide, according to Scott Rasmussen National Surveys. Most Republicans believe that the lockdowns did more harm than good, 76%. Independents agree, that's at 51%. But most Democrats think that the lockdowns did more good than harm, 57%. So, um... Is that disinformation now? Who decides whether or not this topic is disinformation or misinformation? Who's going to decide that? Because at some point, somebody will, right? At some point, there's going to be some Facebook fact checkers who, you know, just coincidentally all worked for like a Democratic administration. They'll all come down on, you know, a, for, uh, uh, with a ruling that's going to be, my prediction, it's going to be that lockdowns did not do more harm than good. And spreading that kind of topic would be 
misinformation, disinformation, hashtag fake news, right? That's, you, you can't talk about these things. That's, I mean, honestly, like, why would I expect this to go in any other direction than what I have seen all of these other, you know, COVID-related topics going? Whether it's masks or vaccines. And again, full disclosure, like, I am fully vaccinated. I think people should get the vaccine. I'm not going to browbeat people who don't. It's your decision. I'm a libertarian. I say live and let live. Like, I'm going to tell you why I decided the way I did. I don't think the way to convince people to do something is to tell them that they're idiots for not doing it. I don't think that generally works. (laughs) So... Oh, this is hilarious. Who is this? This takes me back. What is it? Starship. We built this city. Right, right, right. Starship. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the airport that I flew out of, Islip, MacArthur Airport, all the songs they were playing was from this time period. <laughs> Every like they 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 tuned into like late '80s contemporary rock, and this was it. It was, I mean, songs I hadn't heard in 20 years. You found me out, Pete. That's actually my night job. <laughs> I'm the I'm the music guy at the airport. At Iceland. <laughs> well, this sounds like the Muzak version of it, though. The Benstown version. All righty. Um. So I was going over this lockdown data because um, there's a divide within the Democratic Party, and you don't actually hear about this a lot. I wonder why. But there is a divide. So first off, if you are – so the question is, and this is the question that Scott Rasmussen National Surveys put out there to the field, and they did it last year as well, and it shows this trend now of more and more people believing that the lockdowns did more harm than good. Which, by the way, easy story, media folks, anybody in the media happens to be listening, your secret's safe with me, it's okay. But story idea is you take this data from the survey and then you ask a local official who is pro-lockdown and uh, ask them, hey, you know, the public doesn't agree with that decision, was that the right call? And there's your story. And then you could even do like have the graphics department draw up something on the graphics based on the Rasmussen survey. Okay, Um, so the... There is a divide. Most Republicans believe that the lockdowns did more harm than good. Independents also agree that more that the lockdowns did more harm than good. But Democrats do not agree. Democrats believe, obviously, that the lockdowns were beneficial. They did more good than harm. But there is a divide inside the Democratic Party. Do you want to take a guess how this breaks down? White Democrats, by a two-to-one margin, 65 to 32, white Democrats reject the idea that lockdowns did more harm than good. Black Democrats and other Democrats are evenly divided. So that shows you who's driving policy decisions, who's driving uh, you know, the, the, the cultural norms, if you will, that are inside the Democratic Party. It is the white Democrats who are driving that. Two to one. That is a very large difference than an even split, 50-50, between black Democrats and other Democrats on this question of 
did the lockdowns do more harm than good? So if you are a Republican and you are hearing this, then you might want to look there for some inroads to make. You might want to make your messaging, you know, not, I mean, you don't want to go crazy with this because it's a 50-50 split, but you can craft some messaging here that says, hey, you know what? These lockdowns weren't such a great thing. And anybody who says that they know that they were, if you put them into office, you're going to risk going back to more lockdowns. And by the way, you should also be demanding that all Democrats go on record if they're running for office about their view on the lockdowns. Did they do more harm than good? Because if you're getting a lot of white Democrats that are running and they're all saying two to one, that they're saying that the lockdowns were good, they were beneficial, I think people should know that. Particularly in the U.S. Senate race, in the primary. (laughs) Not that I'm telling anybody how to do their jobs or what questions that you want to ask, but (laughs) um, I actually saw something here. I've now lost it. Uh, That was my mistake. It was on the Twitter machine where, oh, right, it was... um, Oh, darn it. I lost it. It was Jeff Jackson, who is running for uh, the U.S. Senate on the Democratic side. He is going to do a Mecklenburg town hall. And I want to say, oh, darn it. I'll have to find it after the uh, I'll find it during the break and let you know, just in case you want to go and ask Jeff Jackson whether or not at this town hall meeting. It's this week. I want to say it's the 12th. What is that? A Thursday? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's twelve. I think it's the twelfth, and it's at like six o'clock. And so maybe if somebody wanted to ask Jeff Jackson, "Hey, do you think the lockdowns did more harm than good?" and he, being a white Democrat, chances are he's going to say, if he's honest, right, and this is his opinion, he's going to say, "No, I I think they did more good than harm. I think that they're they're okay." It was a tough call, but, you know, we had to do it. Again, if anybody wants to just kind of throw that question out there. Now, Noah Rothman writing at uh, Commentary Magazine. He has a piece recently called The Pressure Campaign to Restore Pandemic Restrictions is Succeeding. It is succeeding, and I agree with him. The pressure campaign is working. And you can tell because there are more and more jurisdictions that are adopting more and more restrictions again. Back in May, the CDC admitted what most sentient observers already knew to be true. The risk of contracting and transmitting COVID-19 among vaccinated Americans is so vanishingly small that the fully va- uh, fully immunized can get rid of their face masks. The community of COVID maximalists has never forgiven the agency for its laxity. And now, amid a new wave of infections limited almost exclusively to the unvaccinated, members of the Biden administration are subtly undermining the administration's own guidance in an effort to restore mask mandates. Which, oh darn it, now I lost that other tweet. See, this is the problem. I find these tweets and then I'm like, oh, let me just uh, keep this one up. But uh, And then I, I forget and then I, I refresh and it goes away. So, There is this report that has now come out of the UK and people on the right are spreading it around and they're like, oh, look, look at all of these uh, uh, breakthrough cases of the vaccinated. And they're six times 
more likely to die. Six times the, the, the number. Well, it's six times because if they're getting it and they're vaccinated, right, the chance of death is is heightened because they have a much worse case of it. But the total number of people that are getting it is way, 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 way lower than the unvaccinated population. If you're unvaccinated, chances are greater you're going to get it and you're going to get hospitalized and you're going to die. That's R.E.M. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Here's the reason why I couldn't find the tweet about Jeff Jackson's upcoming uh, town hall in Mecklenburg County. It's because it was from a press release. I got a lot of streams of information here coming in. I I get them confused sometimes. So Senator Jeff Jackson, Democrat, running for U.S. Senate in the primary. Uh, He's got a town hall to answer voters' questions and hear their concerns. When? Thursday, August 12th, 6 p.m. Where? First Ward Park, 301 East 7th Street. So it'll be outside. He does these things outside, and he takes pictures of them. It's part of his 100-county tour. Craig, welcome to the program. Hello, Craig. Hey, how are you doing? All righty. How are you? Good to hear from you again and see you back on WBT. Well, thanks. Um, you know, I was hearing about your your um, poll there. You know, black Americans seem to think that the pandemic was pretty much even, or the shutdowns were pretty much even. But I think, you know, a lot of this has to do with people's personal experiences. And considering the fact that a lot of black Americans work in more service and blue-collar fields, um, they're going to be a lot more affected, and they've had a lot more family and friends affected by shutdowns than people who can just remote work. Mm-hmm. So that would be a big reason. Um, and same with a lot of Republicans. A lot of Republicans do a lot of blue-collar work as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, right. These the, the, polls are just—I don't know which ones to believe and why anymore. Without knowing the exact details and every which way the poll was done, how can you really trust any of them? Well, so, well, all right. I don't know what you mean by trust the poll. Are you saying that? So, do you say that? Uh, well, I believe that a lot of people taking polls are taking polls with the intent that they want a certain answer, so they frame their questions okay. the best way they can to get the result they're looking for. Uh, well, all right. So, you, so then. You're saying you can't trust the polls in, in I guess, all of them, um, and so because you don't know what everybody's motives are in doing the polls. Now, I would point out Scott Rasmussen, not exactly known for, you know, leftism in his polling, um, but I would point out that this is simply a survey of people asking them, and that's why, by the way, you should always read the crosstabs of polls if you are interested in looking into polls. You look at the crosstabs, you look at who did them, you look at what questions were asked, and you look at the samples and such. Um, and then as I, and look, I'm with you, it's a snapshot. That's all it is. And in and of itself, that's not anything that you should put a whole lot of weight into, right? I agree with that. Like I don't use polls to then drive, um, my thoughts on a particular issue. I think they're interesting, but I'm more interested in knowing what is the trend. And that's what this polling has done. Now it's given us two data points on this trend. And the simple question is, did lockdowns do more harm than good? And it doesn't ask people to offer a why, right? Because I think what you raised is a very good reason why there would be this difference. 
But I think what what you've identified is an underlying assumption, which is people's experiences during the lockdowns are driving these thoughts, right? These opinions now about whether they did more harm than good. I think that is a fair observation, albeit one that has not been tested in the survey. So, yes, people who are uh, who were, quote, essential workers during the the lockdowns, they probably do have a very different idea of whether they worked, whether they did good, whether they did harm than people who were able to work from home. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. I yeah. Agree. Craig, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. Um, and the fact that, and Craig's point was that you have a lot of African-Americans that were working in industries that were not shut down or they had to keep working. They were essential personnel or they had their entire, you know, or they were sent home and didn't have to work at all. Right. So you had a lot of people that were directly impacted versus people who were like, all right, you know, take the company laptop, go home and we'll see you on the Zoom meetings in between, you know, walking the dog and doing laundry, right? Different experiences. Um, Also, people who own small businesses going to have a different opinion about whether the lockdowns did more harm than good. Because small businesses, particularly in tourism and such, they were devastated. You have businesses built, you know, multi-generational businesses. We've seen stories about them all around Charlotte that had to close down permanently. They are out of business. And that's not because of COVID. That's because of the government response to COVID. Now, you can say that the government response to COVID was the only response that they could have done. I would disagree with that. But that's the nature of this question that Rasmussen was asking. Did it do more harm than good? And if you think that the lockdown stopped everybody from getting sick and dying then you would say, oh, absolutely, it was worth it. And if we had to sacrifice your business, you know, oh, well, stinks to be you, but it was worth it because we saved everybody's lives. Of course, that doesn't explain why we're seeing now the <laughs> all of the reemergency. I, I, my assessment of what I am seeing right now, and you don't have to believe this, you don't have to agree with it. I don't care if anybody agrees with it, but I am open to being persuaded otherwise based on you know new information. But my assessment right now is, this virus is going to virus. It's just, it does what it does. It's a virus. We think we can control it. Sort of our human um, hubris here, right? Our conceit that we can control this thing. And if we were just able to do X, Y, and Z, then we can stop this thing from, you know, doing its thing. It's a very natural human reaction. But I also think it is incorrect. I think there are mitigation strategies that can be helpful, can be effective to a limited degree. I do. And I think that there are certain trade-offs that people are making and are willing to make in order to preserve a society. But when the threat is not worth it, when the juice ain't worth the squeeze, then you shouldn't be doing the squeeze in the first place. And a year and a half into this thing, we now have a lot more information and we see a lot of the results of some of these policies, I don't think there's any doubt they did more harm than good, that the lockdowns did more harm than good. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Noah Rothman at Commentary Magazine. 
The pressure campaign to restore pandemic restrictions is succeeding. I'll get back to that in a second. First, let's get to Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine, Pete. How are you? I am well. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I, I wanted to make a little point. Is that right now when you go on social media, you go on Facebook, Twitter, and you do Google searches and you listen to NPR, you're not getting accurate information. You're getting reflected back to you the world that they want you to see. And it's almost like when they do polls, it's like they're trying to figure out how well the propaganda is working and what they need to do to improve the message in the future to make it work even better. Right. So Rush Limbaugh used to talk about this, too, and I completely agree. A lot of times. So the polling that is commissioned by and for media outlets are designed specifically to get a story. Right. Uh, When it's an NBC slash whatever poll, Marist or whatever. Right. Uh, Whatever the polling outfit is. That means that those media companies put a poll out into the field. Why? They wanted to do a story on it, right? They want to do a story on what the polling tells them. And if the polling comes back and says something that is, you know, let, let's, I don't even want to ascribe motive to it, like say, you know, did, it's not what they wanted it to be. But even if it's just not a particularly uh, compelling or groundbreaking discovery, like, you know, oh, we found out that most people believe water is wet. Okay, is that a news story? No, it's not going to get covered. So the media is not going to probably pay for that poll in the first place because they want to make sure that they're going to get something for that expense. And so what does that mean? It means they're going to go looking for the types of stories that a particular survey might elicit. And that is bias. Matt Matt Damon just did this movie, uh, Stillwater, and he plays a Trump supporter. And even he said, Trump supporters aren't like what I thought they would be. So even he <laughs> fell prey to the mess that they're putting out there. Well, I mean, it's Matt Damon. So, I mean, I don't know if it's like even Matt Damon could you know, fall, uh, fall prey. But um, <laughs> it is Matt Damon. But uh, it's uh, that's interesting. It's also it, it reminds me of a comment that I have seen uh, Dr. James Lindsay talk about. And he, he's the guy from New Discourses. And uh, he, he wrote some of the uh, some of those papers. Remember, he did the, the papers that were fake papers, and he got them published in all of these social justice publications uh-huh. Uh-huh. and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and it's one of the things that he has been talking about. He's been, you know, going all in this anti-critical race theory stuff. And um, he has, he said, one of the biggest things that he has learned in this process, because he does a lot of interviews with conservative media, and he said that these, the, he said conservatives are not the people that he was led to believe they are. When he has actually gone out and met with them and talked with them and he's invited to churches and to conservative organizations, he said, like, they're asking me questions and they really want to know these things. And they're not they're not this stereotypical type of a caricature that he had been led to believe they were based on media reporting and his echo chamber. Right. Because he is from the left. And right. yeah. And, and so um, I think that is, uh, yes, the the. The worldviews are reflected back at people, particularly on social media, because they are manipulated, right? Be- right and, and, and just imagine if you were to actually get the $2 million from the government you were saying you would take while I, ago. I deserve, right. I deserve I, it. I, I, I think your message would change, too. Right. Well, I mean, I would definitely be pro-funding yeah. for radio hosts. Right. Yeah, but, but, but your <laughs> message would change or they wouldn't have your money. And so I think that's how they do it. Well, and yeah, that, it's always one of the problems when you start taking money from the government in any form or fashion, uh, whether you're a nonprofit that's relying on grants from, you know, local, state or federal, um, 
yes, you are now. You now got to play by their rules. That's and that's how they get you always. And then you get into this kind of vicious cycle of having to staff up and devote resources to maintaining the grants, right? As like a nonprofit organization, for example, you you get large enough, you start uh, getting all these government grants to do this work, and at first it's great because it's seen as uh, you know proof that what you were doing was valuable, and 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 uh, here's a bunch of funding, so now you can do more good. But now you got to you got to keep in compliance with these federal grants or these local and state grants, and so now you got to hire people that go out and get more grants, and they got to be compliance officers and stuff, and at some point. If you get addicted to that money stream, right, you're dependent on that flow of federal dollars. Yeah, you're going to make different decisions. You absolutely will. And uh, I've, I've, I've read people who, uh, who have gotten off of that, uh, the addiction, basically. And they say, look, you know, yeah, we had to, we got rid of some people that were doing compliance, but, but it made us a better nonprofit organization because we were able to adapt. We were able to, to move around. And, and that's it's one of the benefits of being a smaller, leaner operation just in general. Uh, Stan, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thank you. Um, Noah Rothman's piece at Commentary Magazine, he says that to judge from the media landscape, the activists who favor a return of pandemic-related restrictions, even despite the nation's enviable immunization rate, those folks are winning this argument. Okay? Polling... Even in an industry, you know, whose own professionals confess is hopelessly broken, right? Polling suggests that the public overwhelmingly favors the reimposition of onerous mid-pandemic restrictions on social and economic life. He says it seems like a safe bet that the Biden administration will eventually agree with the loudest voices in the room, sacrificing its claim to have broken the pandemic and scuttling much of the progress towards a full economic recovery in the process. He says, it's not at all clear what effect restoring mask mandates will have on localized rates of COVID infection. If the Biden administration accepts the premise that the pandemic is back in full force, despite all of the sacrifices everybody has made over the last 18 months, the political consequences are far easier to predict. So this is also interesting because, as I've mentioned before, Roy Cooper, governor of North Carolina, right? Roy Cooper, uh, when he instituted his executive orders, he did so based on the explicit. And you can go and read this in the executive orders themselves. He cites as the seminal authority the fact that local jurisdictions are incapable of combating the virus. That's why it required a state directive, right? The reason why he is empowered to uh, uh, to this limitless and unending uh, executive authority is because the local jurisdictions are unable to respond. And then what did he do on the mass mandate? He turned around and said, locals decide. <laughs> well, wait a minute. If that's the case, then what do we need the executive order for? Nobody's asking him this. The executive orders that are still in place, his emergency declaration still in place. And that authority rests on this premise that local jurisdictions cannot respond and react because it's too widespread. It's all over the state. He's got to be the one to do all of the stuff. Yet with the mass mandate for the K-12 education, now he's saying, oh, no, no, school districts should decide for themselves. <laughs> Locals should decide for themselves, which, by the way, was the Republican position initially. 
Real quick, complete change of topic, but I want to mention this because I didn't mention it at all for most of the um, event, which is the Olympics are over. You're welcome. They ended. It's over. Um, I will point out also that we got more medals than China. <laughs> it's always good to beat commie butt, whether it's in Olympic medals or what. And they were making a big deal about the fact that they had won more gold medals than America has. I mean, despite the fact that they've got, like, I don't know, all of the people on planet Earth are, you know, in their country. Um, so they got more they got more people to pull from. They've actually, somebody crunched the numbers. There's a fellow named Jarrett Walshack, vice president of state projects at the Tax Foundation. He said China had 88 total medals. Taiwan had 12. But that works out to one medal for every 16 million people in China versus one medal for every 2 million in Taiwan. So you get the, the it's a it's a proportion. And that really is a better way to to view this stuff. Right? Because China's got so many people that they should be winning all of the medals. Why aren't they winning more medals per million people? Because communism stinks. <laughs> all right, that is a wrap for the episode. Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 993 WBT. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.